0: The following audio is from Sand Hills Community Church. More information about Sand Hills Community Church is available at www.sandhillschurch.org. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, well, amen. Well, uh, I have a friend of mine who is a chaplain. He's a military chaplain. We have breakfast together once every couple weeks. And uh, so the last time we were together for breakfast, uh, the idea of joy came up. We were talking about joy. We were talking about in the context of Christmas. We even talked about it in the context of Advent. And, um, and we got on the idea of joy stealers. Right? Do you have joy stealers in your life? Some of them are habitual joy stealers in your life. Right? They're the they're the ones when you see the phone call and you see their name, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to. You know, you're just so tempted to you know you know hang up immediately. You know, ghost them a little bit and then, uh, tell, oh yeah, hey, I was busy. Got your call. I just didn't want to talk to you. So, um, it, th- these people are always that way. And so this friend of mine had gone to a conference, and at this conference, this guy by the name of Richard Blackaby was speaking. And he came out with this idea of uh, joy and and joy stealers. And he said this. He said, here's something I want you to know. Um, Nobody steals your joy. You give it away. So nobody steals your joy. You give it away. And you can give your joy away to simple things like the person who cuts you off in traffic or uh, the overcrowded checkout line uh, during Christmas here. Um, You can give it away to Fox News or MSNBC. Uh, you can give it away to your losing sports team, but, but some way or another you're just kind of giving this away. Or even uh, to the very personal stuff as we go into Christmas here. People that are in your home or people that you're talking to on the phone uh, or just people that rub you the wrong way. And uh, we of all people, we who know Jesus, who know what God has done for us, have more reason for joy than anyone else in the world literally Let's not give away this thing that the Lord has given to us. And so here's my idea. We need to recapture this. And so the next time you are tempted to give your joy away, pause and think about what Christ has done for us. In fact, what he has done for us is mentioned in scripture. We sing songs all the time, like joy to the world. And uh, when we hit this area of themes, um, songs that we sing, uh, stuff that works its way in our Christmas plays and things like that, we come upon these scriptures that are brilliant and tell us what Jesus has done for us. This one was read in the Advent uh, uh, video we just watched. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So I love this. is a quote from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Uh, let's go back to that first slide. And so you have to understand if you go to read Isaiah 9, the context is the context of joy. Like, Israel, here's why you should rejoice. And then it starts talking about this kid that's going to be born, who's going to grow up, and he's going to be of some royalty. So we have a, we have a future ruler coming, promised to Israel. Uh, so the government's going to be upon his shoulders. He's going to be a ruler. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Right, so Wonderful Counselor. Now, not like, not, not like you might think of counseling. There's nothing, nothing wrong with counseling. Counseling is great. It's where you go get information and, uh, and encouragement and, and the help you need Process with somebody. Uh, but that's not what this is. Wonderful Counselor. This is a comment we're going to make about him. Like, like he is, he is going to have such brilliance and wisdom that when he speaks, we will call what he said Wonderful counsel. That is Wonderful Counselor. And he will have the name Wonderful Counselor. That's what he's all about. He is so brilliant that when he speaks, he's a Wonderful Counselor. But then here's the really weird thing. Like, Wonderful Counselor, okay, cool. He's going to be a brilliant guy. That's probably why he's going to be a king or a ruler. And then you get to this next, Mighty God. Why would we call him Mighty God? Mighty Is this, is he going to be a God? Or are you talking like he's going to be God? Like God in the flesh, God with us, which is the name Emmanuel. God with, he's going to be, well, no wonder he's going to be a wonderful counselor then. If this is going to be God in the flesh ruling from earth, like that's crazy. What's even crazier is the next part, everlasting father. Everlasting father. Okay, so see, this goes from God to my dad. This idea that that you've got this amazing person who's so brilliant, so wise, it is actually going to be God in the flesh, and by relationship, he's going to be my father. So now he's not just distant, he's personal. This really brings the idea of intimacy, this everlasting father. And then this idea of the prince of peace, that when he rules, it will be so powerful, so significant, that he will take peace starting within and going without to the ends of the universe. In fact, (laughs) of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Like this, this thing that he does will continue to spread out until it encompasses all the earth and encompasses all of the universe. This is what he's going to do is going to bring peace. I mean, and listen, if God came to you right now and said, would you like more peace? Just say the word and I'm going to give it to you. Like how many of us are going to say, like, no, nah, I'm good. You know, like, I don't need any more peace, especially around Christmas. I'm good. Like, you know, you totally need more peace. Well, this is what this guy is coming to do. He's coming to bring peace. But here's what we also know, that oftentimes peace doesn't come until after a battle. And it is true that this ruler has come to do a battle. That battle's right in here. He's going to do a battle in our hearts to fix us, to put us back right with him, to put us back right with ourselves, to put us back right with the world. And that as he does that, the increase of his government, there will be no end. Let's go to the next slide of this verse. To establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore and i love this the, the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this 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 zeal the the determined intensity of the lord of oh, so lord we should talk about the lord of hosts actually we already sang in one of our songs this morning uh, about uh, the hosts now when you think of host, you're probably thinking of the person that greets you when you walk into a restaurant. Uh, you know, he is the Lord of those people as well. Um, but really, the Lord of hosts is a reference to being the Lord of angel armies, if you will. That's really what it's a reference to, angel armies, the Lord of hosts. He's like he's like a commander-in-chief of all of these angels, these multitude, of multi, you know, millions and millions of angels or whatever. The, I don't know how many there are, but however many there are, he's in charge of all of them. They're wicked awesome and you know that he's in charge of all of them so the zeal of the lord of the host will do this so when you read this that is a promise and you can bank on it i love it and now this last part about this idea of um, of somebody coming from the line of david that's what's really uh, huge uh, because because of all these promises the jewish people literally believed somebody was to come and they knew it was going to be connected to a promise that was made to king david this comes from second samuel second samuel chapter 7 when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God would often do these uh, dual fulfillment type of promises where he would say that, yeah, I'm going to do this like here, I'm going to do this for you. Somebody's going to come after you. He's going to build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now somebody did come after David and did build a temple for God. That was Solomon. But he didn't last forever and his throne wasn't established forever. And so, you know, the, the Jewish people have always wrestled with like, well, there, there must be somebody else then. And so out of this, Jewish people really believe there's going to be another, there's another one to come. There's somebody they call the Messiah. Messiah literally means anointed one. And so they're waiting on the anointed one, anointed by God to rule, to be this uh, wonderful counselor and to be this uh, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This is who they're waiting for. So they knew somebody else was to come and that becomes the backdrop for what we're going to study today. So, if you have your Bibles handy, go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I decided not to continue on with 2 Corinthians today. So, <laughs> probably a good idea to stop and talk about Christmas and all that goes with that. So, that's what we're going to do for the next couple of weeks. Today, we'll be in Luke chapter 2. Now, as you're turning there, uh, for those who are unfamiliar, the Jewish people literally did expect a Messiah, but they actually still expect a Messiah. Those Jewish people that have not converted uh, to become uh, Messianic or completed Jews, as we might call them, um, they're still waiting on a promise. The, the thing is, they knew all the promises of Jesus, but they got confused on how it was supposed to be fulfilled. So they had wanted, when Messiah came, and it did look like Jesus for a moment might have been that one, that there were some rumors about his origin, and the life he lived was pretty clear, and the way he spoke was really wise, and he did these miraculous things that people couldn't explain away. And, um, but the problem for the Jewish people was they really thought he was going to establish his rule then, and he didn't. Um, he was arrested and uh, then he was tortured, and then he was crucified, and dead, and buried, and um, that's where the Jewish people went, oh, well, I guess he's not the one. Uh, The unfortunate thing is they missed what happened three days later when he walked out of the tomb, which proved to us he was in fact who he said he was, and so we know that Messiah has in fact come, and uh, we see a part of the story in Luke chapter 2, and we talk about this idea of joy for the world, joy for the world. Uh, Luke chapter 2, let me read a few verses for us here. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. All right, so in those days, that's Luke's way of saying, we don't know when you know, so like people ask me like, hey, do you, when was Jesus actually born? And the, the truth is we don't know. We don't know at all. We really don't know. Uh, so he's just like in those days was somewhere in this time. But we do know this. Caesar Augustus was reigning at the time. He's a real guy, uh, really ruled from 31 BC to 14 AD. And he wanted to uh, tax the whole Roman empire. So, you know, he was a good politician. Want to tax the Roman empire. But to tax everybody, you got to know who's there. And so he said, well, here's what we're gonna do so I can identify who's there. Everybody go to your hometown of origin. Everybody go there. And then we will just do a, a one big head count there and then I'll know how many people I need to tax. And so everybody does this. Now, ironically, Caesar Augustus really established peace throughout the Roman empire. And it was because of the peace that he helped establish that Christianity really went forth and became very significant in the Roman empire. It wasn't until he was followed up by Nero... That Nero came in as a ruthless tyrant, and uh, he began to wipe out uh, Christians. Um, but Caesar Augustus actually was doing a good thing uh, in his own way. And so we have the story here of uh, Joseph and Mary. And uh, so, if you uh, if you have your map, uh, let's let's pull the map up here if we could. Okay, so here we are. So this is a map of Israel. Oh, who? Who here is going to be going to Israel with us? We've got about nine people from the church. Raise your hand if you're going to be going to Israel here. One, person, There's like nine of us from the church. Jack would raise his hand. Pastor Malcolm would raise his if he was here. Um, you're literally going to be in Bethlehem. We're going to be there in like you know, 10, 12 days, something like that. It's going to be awesome. All right. Um, so here, let me show you the map of Israel. So Joseph and Mary are up here in Nazareth of Galilee, uh, and they're, they're, they're in the wrong place. That's not where they're supposed to be because everybody knows Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. Uh, They are 70 miles north of where they need to be. And so scripture tells us they went up to Bethlehem. Now you're looking at the map and you're thinking, that's not up. Well, they're not speaking uh, by way of our directionals on a uh, compass. They're talking by way of uh, geography and elevation. And so literally because Bethlehem is located in a mountainous region, they literally go up uh, to Bethlehem. In fact, everybody that goes to Bethlehem goes up to Bethlehem because it's on this mountainous area. So they go up to Bethlehem, this 70 miles to get to where they're supposed to be. Now, Bethlehem for you and me, is really famous uh, because we've heard of it, but back then it was not. Bethlehem was a little tiny town. You know, in fact, a few years ago, I was talking about Bethlehem being a little tiny, no nothing town, and I mentioned a town near us to kind of idea, you know, like it's like this town, but people here were from that town, and they really were not happy with that. So I'm not going to mention anything this morning. Just, you know, any small town, you wouldn't think it's significant. It's that town. Um. So, but, but here's the thing too, you know, like God doesn't always use kings and uh, the wealthy and famous people. Like he doesn't... God likes to do a lot of his stuff just really nondescript kind of ways, small ways. And that's uh, one of the reasons he used Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by the way, uh, is, a, is a word that means house of bread. <laughs> a little trivia for you this morning. Bethlehem means house of bread. But what's neat about that is Jesus is called the bread of life. And so Bethlehem is literally the, the house of the bread of life, if you will. And uh, the prophecy comes from Micah 5.2. This also the Jewish people believed in. Uh, Micah 5.2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth uh, for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now this literally, the Jews believed this. They, they were like, hey, we know when Messiah comes, he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And so, well, when Micah was written, by the way, that you get this Bethlehem Ephrathah, you're like, what is that Ephrathah? Well, there were multiple Bethlehems at the time. And so this identified the correct one that David was actually from. Uh, now we just call it Bethlehem because it's just the, the one that we know that, uh, that David was from and uh, we know that Jesus came from. And so in the midst of this, if you think about it, because Joseph and Mary are in the wrong place and all this is supposed to go down, you know, I just wonder if one of the angels is talking to God and like, hey, you know, God, you know, if you're going to do this with Joseph and Mary, they're not in the right place. Uh, And so I was thinking about this, about how God rearranged everything in their lives and in the entire Roman empire so that he could fulfill prophecy that he had already put together before time began. And, And it reminded me, God doesn't need all the pieces to be in place for him to answer prayer. Right? You know, I just, I was just thinking about it. Like how many times have we hit some sort of crisis in our lives? And then we go to the Lord in prayer and we're trying to explain to him how to answer that prayer. You know, like, Lord, like, I really need this to happen. So if you would do this and then have this happen, followed by that, then this would happen, and that would be what I need done. And God's like, that's excellent counsel. I wish I'd thought of that. You know, I like, like, thank you for your input. So it doesn't work that way, That this idea that <laughs> he's our wonderful counselor. Like, he's got this down. And so when he's just ready, it just happens. And all these pieces fit together, and you're like, oh. So that's how it works. Okay, okay, good. So for me, it's just this, that, that no longer do we have to explain to God how to answer our prayers. It's just like, when you have a need, just come to the Lord with the need. Lord, Lord I need this. And God's like, I know how to answer prayer. Thank you. I can, I can fix this for you. And God's good like that. So he can make everything snap together just like he did with Joseph and Mary. So uh, we have this pregnant woman. She's a pregnant woman. She's unmarried. Now, like, even in the church today, being pregnant and unmarried is a thing, Right? Um, now, side note on that, but if I could just add this, just because over the years I've dealt with a lot of uh, pregnant unwed uh, mothers, um, let, I, I know we all, we all know a sin was committed, right? There's no there's no secret there. Um, let's show them grace and mercy uh, when we do find unwed mothers uh, among us, because the the sins already be committed. Our sins have already been committed that we just didn't end up with the uh, baby afterwards, you know, probably. So let's show grace and kindness to them. But historically, you can imagine even even much worse in this uh, very religious uh, oriented around. Um, the, the commands of God, to have a woman who was young and unmarried thats a uh, and pregnant. That's a big deal. And uh, and the women, by the way, didn't normally go for the taxing. Like when there was a head count being given, a census was being taken, the women didn't normally go. Uh, but Joseph took her probably because she was about to give birth, and he knew she's an unwed uh, mother. Uh, she may be shunned. Uh, I don't know if people are going to be there for her, but more than anything, he wanted to be there for her, but probably also because an angel had told him, your wife's about to give birth to Messiah, and you probably should just be on the scene, you know, if you're the dad. So he's going to uh, be there, so he's going to help take care of her. And, uh, and sure enough, uh, they do travel, and then they go to the point where uh, she gives birth, and we might call this the birth of joy. Look with me in verses six and seven. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Uh, okay, so growing up, growing up, you know, I don't, I don't know how you pictured the story growing up. I'll tell you how I pictured the story growing up. So, um, you know, you've got this um, this husband and wife promised to be, they're engaged. Um, she's pregnant, and so they've got to make this big trip. And so we we know how the trip probably went. It was probably uh, they probably traveled at night. And, um, and she's probably, she's riding a donkey for sure, right? And she's, and she's dressed in blue. It's like baby blue. I don't know why, but she's gotta be wearing blue. And she's riding side saddle with this very big belly. And her husband dutifully is just walking in front of her. But when they roll in to Bethlehem, you know, 1230, whatever it is, uh, the middle of the night, uh, they roll in, the innkeeper's sitting at the door, uh, you know, kind of waiting on him, a little candlelight in the background. He's got this big beard and, and, he's, and he's a little cranky and like, there's no room. Like, you know, like if you'd have been here, this is on you guys, if you'd have been here earlier, you'd have got a room, but you don't have one. And so, like, I have no sympathy for you whatsoever. But, of course, she's having contractions by this point, right? I mean, she just rode a donkey 70 miles. So she's like, the the baby is coming, you know? And it's like, dude, I I can't help you out, bro. I mean, you can go sleep in the barn. And um, he's like, okay, fine, we'll go to the barn. So she goes back to the barn, goes in there. And then when she opens it up, of course, there there are piles of hay. It's beautifully arranged. Um, There's wonderful candlelight. And there are animals in there that are literally smiling at them as they they walk in the door. (laughs) And she walks in, and unlike women today who give birth, like when it's time for Jesus to come, instantly she just has a small belly, and she's holding a child. And um, and then she just lies there in the hay, and her husband comforts her, and you know how sweet it is, and then angels start singing, there's a big star overhead, and then there's three men at the door with gifts, um, and uh, and a, a cat somewhere. I don't like this, oh, this is the story. And then, and then yay, that's Christmas. Okay, so... <laughs> That's not at all crazy. That's not at all crazy. Like, we've messed up the whole thing. And I, I get how we got here. You know, like, like, tradition has messed us up. Christmas songs have messed us up. Christmas movies have messed us up. Christmas plays have messed us up. We're so confused. Like, like here's the thing. You know, Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th. <laughs> oh, yeah. My world is shattered. You know, like, no. See, if you're a Roman emperor and you have a census and you want everybody to travel, you don't put it in the middle of winter. Like, you want everybody to get there so you can count them. You'd probably put it in the spring sometime. So when was Jesus born? I don't know. It certainly wasn't in the winter uh, in Israel. But uh, somewhere he was uh, born at a different time of year. But, but here's what we do know. And I would say this. You know, you can trust your Bibles. Uh, you just have to be able to understand what your Bible is actually saying. So she does have a child, uh, and she wraps him in swaddling cloths, which is not abnormal at all. Of course, everybody, you've got to learn to swaddle your kid. It's one of the first lessons I had before I became a dad. You know, growing up as a young man, I was just not around babies. I didn't, I, like, honestly, when my baby girl was born... First naked little baby girl I've ever seen in my life. No, no lie, they give me this baby, and I'm like, oh, that's what they look like. And so... Um and then they're like, okay, well, sir, we've got to teach you how to put a diaper on the kid. You want to learn how? Like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And they're like, you don't know how to put a diaper on a child. I was like, why would I? I'm a dude. I don't do this thing. So they all right, come here, and they wrap her up, and it's just horrible. Uh, and then they're like, let's teach you how to swaddle your kid. But actually, I had had a swaddling class prior to that, so thank you very much. I was quite the swaddler by the time my daughter was born, and, um, and I swaddled. But um, So here's the, here's the swaddling class. No big deal there. Uh, and there, you know, as far as the other details, and I would say this, like, you can tell this was written by a man, because there are no good details given, and it's like the child was born, moving on, you know, and like, everyone was like, like, dude, like, what, like, how did how did everything go down? Was she is she okay? Was the mom okay? Mom was it, was it painless? Was she, did she cry? Did the baby cry? Like, what? How did everything go smooth with that? How much did he weigh? How long was he? What was his Apgar? Who's gonna give us this information? We've gotta know these things. And Luke's just like, you know, you don't need that. He was born. Moving on. And. uh and then we get these other things and this whole idea of showing up at the, at the end. So that actually is a Christmas myth that has probably been preserved off of a bad translation previously that now has been handed down to us because Luke knows how to use the right words for hotel and guest room. So the word used here is actually for guest room, guest room. He's actually staying at somebody's house. He's in a guest room. He's not at a hotel. A, a couple of things. One is... This is a small little nothing town. They didn't have hotels like we have today. They didn't roll in and go like, well, they don't have much here, but do you want to stay at the Super 8 or you want to stay at, you know, like they didn't do that kind of thing. Um, they rolled in. There was nobody there probably, no, no hotels like that, not like we have them today. But if you remember, everybody's going to their hometown, their place of origin. And so they would have had family all over the place. And before they left, I'm sure some relatives said, hey, when you get there, look up Mephibosheth, he still lives, you know. So they would go down and, and find this farm. And so when they get to the farm, the family would probably take them in. And no woman, once she sees Mary in the state that she's in is going to be like, well, good luck with that. Go sleep in the barn. Like, it doesn't work that way. Women are going to be like, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. You're having contractions. Oh, call everybody. And they would do, I'm sorry, that's my lady voice. And so they would have called <laughs> everybody together and they would have gotten together and then they would, she would have had the baby and she was probably surrounded by people, you know, people her getting her stuff, everything she needs and the men are staying clear, but handing stuff to them or whatever. So this is, that's how it went down. It probably went down to somebody's home. And the reason there's a, this idea of the stable involved is because they would bring the animals in at night just also to keep people from stealing them. Uh, But they also became kind of a central heat type thing. So this actually went down probably in somebody's house because we know, like Luke actually knows the word for hotel because he uses it later when he talks about the Good Samaritan story. And the Good Samaritan um, puts up the injured guy in a hotel, he uses the word uh, there. But we know he also knows the room uh, the guest room word, which he uses to talk about where the disciples would celebrate the Passover with their Lord. Uh, it's just that this was probably a bad translation that got preserved for us. Uh, I would just say this to you. Don't be discouraged by that. Uh, there's very few of these in scripture. This one just uh, kind of keeps, keeps getting translated this way. I can't wait for the first translator to go, you know what? I'm all in. I'm going to put down a guest room and nobody will buy the Bible and we'll burn it. All right. So, but then here's what happens is you get this good news of great joy, this good news of great joy. Look at uh, verses eight through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I love this picture. So uh here we have this uh this this idyllic scene. We've got these shepherds out in their fields by night, which by the way is another indication, it's probably not the middle of winter. Uh they're on the fields by night, so it's comfortable. And uh why have you ever wondered this? Why shepherds? Why would it appear to why would it appear to shepherds? Like, what is significant about shepherds? Nothing. And that's the point. Nothing. I'm like, like, if you're going to make an announcement to the world, and this is huge, you want everybody to know it. If you and I are thinking, it, like, I'm going to find a news agency that's going to be huge that, you know, maybe I have a contact there. I'll try to get it to the, to the highest level of leadership in our country that I can. I'll try to get a word to the president. Like, everybody's got to know about this. And if I can't do any of those things, I'll just go on social media and blow it up, right? So one way or another, I'm going to get this word out there. That's not how God did it. God came to shepherds, and you know you—you'd have to think these few shepherds who are listening to this—they've got to be thinking: Are you sure you're at the right field? Like, like we're the, we're like the wrong people. Like you're looking for somebody much more important than us. And yet these angels show up. They make this amazing announcement, and then this this multitude of angels appears in the sky, and they sing or whatever it is. They declare this truth, and then they're just gone. And you know the angels are like, I suppose we were go check this out. You know, so, there's just a few guys there. So the idea is this. That Jesus didn't come just to save the important people. He came to save everybody. Right? These, these are really just normal people. Like I don't know about you, but when you talk about, or you think about yourself, probably most people in here, if not everybody in here, thinks of yourself as just a normal person. right? We, we don't carry a lot of titles. We're not extremely wealthy. Uh, we're just normal people. You know what's great about that? We're the people Jesus loves. Now, if you were to say, well, doesn't he? Yes, okay, yes, he also loves us too, but but, but for us, he loves everybody. It's not just the the really famous and important people, yeah. And then, here you go, so the angel comes forward, makes this announcement, I love this. Angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, which must have been totally crazy, and they were filled with fear, which would be a logical response. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news, that's from which we get the gospel. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, everybody in the world, everywhere. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. right, so the angel knows what they're doing. The angel shows up and says, hey, unto you is born this day in the city of David, indicating fulfillment of prophecy here. The one you've been expecting, the one scripture wrote about, the the wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and uh, prince of peace, that that one's born in Bethlehem. Just like Micah told you, like you've all been expecting, it just happened. So unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, a savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior, the one who's come to rescue us, rescue us from ourselves, rescue us from sin, rescue us from the wrath of God. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ is is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. That's what Christ means, Messiah. Christ, the anointed one the anointed one of God that you've been expecting. This is the one who's Christ the Lord that is sovereign over all people of all time everywhere. This is who has just been born for you. Uh, and so here they are just trying to get their heads around this. And then they say, okay, listen, I, we know you're gonna seek him out. So this is gonna be a sign for you. You're gonna find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. All right, no mystery there. Every baby is swaddled. You know, it's a deal. Uh, they teach classes on it. Uh, but uh, babies wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Like, okay, these are shepherds. They know what a manger is. That's a food trough. Nobody puts, not even poor people put a baby in a food trough. So they're sitting there going, okay, that'll be new. So when we when we find that kid, we'll know it's him. So we find a baby wrapped uh, in swan and cloths laying in a food trough, got it. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, so now the sky lights up, I suppose. Like, you know, I just picture this like they're in the sky. And, you know, I got this fake image of what angels look like in my head, I know, um, on all my Christmas cards. But, you know, it may have just been that they, like, we're standing there. They just showed up standing all around them, which also would have been totally freaky. Like suddenly you're surrounded by all these people and they're like, hey, God's awesome. You know, like I don't know how they're throwing down here because we don't know what they're singing. But if they were, it probably would have been something like Gloria and Excelsis Deo, which means glory to God in the highest in uh, Latin. But um, this proclamation that, that that God's glory is going to be revealed and it makes this declaration, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And when I think about peace, like like in my head, when I was growing up, I, like if you would said, Jeff, how did they finish the sentence? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. And I, I would have I would probably said, I don't know, is it like to all men or something like that? No, not peace to all men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh, that's an interesting caveat. Not peace for everybody, just peace for those with whom he's pleased. Well, with whom is he pleased? It's the same group of people he's always been pleased with. People of faith. People that believe the the promises he's given. People that trust him. People that turn to him. People that have submitted to him. People that follow his ways. Those are people with whom God is pleased. It has always been the people of faith. And so when we head into Christmas, we we said earlier, don't let people steal your joy. Stop giving it away to people. We don't have to. Because for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who who believe what God has done and that Jesus is the promise, who, who realize that, that while we celebrate Christmas, Christmas is only significant because we celebrate the resurrection later. Because the wood of the manger has to become the wood of the cross. And the empty tomb becomes the declaration that God is satisfied and justice has been completed in the work of Christ for those who are people of faith. And so the response for all of us is the same, that as we head into Christmas, we we renew our faith in Jesus. And so here's, let me encourage you in this. Let's recapture our joy, so to speak. That is, When you're going to be tempted this Christmas, you're going to be tempted this season, you're tempted throughout all your life to give your joy away to to the frustration that's just in front of you. And you'll recapture once you distance yourself from that some measure of stability, maybe even some measure of happiness, some measure of joy, and then you're going to be tempted to give it away the next time something discouraging happens. So here's what I would say. The next time something discouraging happens, remind yourself of all people on earth, I, who believe that God gave us the Savior that we needed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I know him and he knows me. And not only has he promised for me an eternal future of paradise and joy, but even here in this life now, he begins to work afresh opportunities for, for that experience here, for joy, fulfillment, for love, for peace, for hope, all those things that we celebrate during this Advent season. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this reminder of what you've done through Jesus Christ. It is true, Lord, that we are tempted to give away our joy and, uh, It's actually foolish. It was probably just humanity because we all do it. Uh, But may it be, Father, this next time we are driven to frustration, especially in Christmas when so many things can frustrate us. Um, Or may it be that as we stand in that checkout line, that we just rejoice that not only are we known by God, we're provided so so richly that we can afford to buy the gifts that we're buying. That we've got food on our tables. That we have homes in which to live. That we have families. Lord, may it be that we just celebrate the fact that we have a Savior who has rescued us from the sin that separated us from our Father, and has given us a relationship now that we could be called children of God. Thank you in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Sandhills Community Church. Feel free to share this with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information, please visit our website at www.sandhillschurch dot org